Hey guys, Eric Lindine here. I'm the lead pastor of Mosaic Church in Maple Grove, Minnesota. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you, and that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Hey, everybody. Uh, Good to see you all this morning. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? We're going to start off in Luke 24 and jump around a little bit today. Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them, just like we saw, as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Good Halloween story. Why are you frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I am not a ghost. Because ghosts don't have bodies, as you see that I do. As he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. Still, they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. Then he asked them, do you have anything to eat? I love that. Jesus is like, I need some breakfast. It's been a long weekend. They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he ate it as they watched. Then he said, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. Amen. You are witnesses of all these things. And now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you. That all who believe and repent and turn to you will be forgiven and saved. God, I thank you that you came clothed in flesh to earth to rescue and redeem us. And that now you offer us the chance to connect with you and your Holy Spirit to be a part of your body. I pray that right now, these would be your words. You would step into my body and speak through my mouth. That all here would receive the message from you that they need to hear this morning. That all who are watching online, that their hearts would be encouraged, that they would be inspired, and that they would allow you to do the deep work that only you can do. And then we pray, amen. You can take a seat. We've been walking our way backwards through the story of the gospel, and we kind of started with church, and, and what is the church, and what does God intend for the church, and we're walking our way backwards to the cross, and that's going to be next week, and then we're going to end with cradle at Christmas time. How many of you have been to Disney World or Disneyland at some time in your life? Yeah, quite a few of us, yeah. I remember the first time I went to Disney World, I think I was about 14 years old, Went with my family, and everything was magical. Uh, the line, the, the, the rides, the food, even waiting in line was magical because they had things to see as you're going through. It, you know, I, I was amazed to meet Mickey Mouse. 
for the very first time. Like the real Mickey Mouse is there at Disney World. It's like, there he is. And I loved it so much that when Chris and I got married, she's like, where do you want to go for our honeymoon? We can go anywhere. And I was like, let's go to Disney World because she'd never gone before. You know, you'd think getting married and going on your honeymoon would be enough. But I was like, no, I want to go to Disney World for our honeymoon. So that's where we went. And then the last 10 years or so after we've had kids, we've gone down to Disney World a couple times. But let me tell you, it's not quite as magical as those first one or two times going down to Disney World. It's like, ah, the lines aren't quite as magical. A little overcrowded food, expensive, not so healthy. And all you see are whining kids. And I'm like, don't you even discipline your kids? And then I realize those are my kids. Oh, yeah, sorry. You know, it's, it's just not as magical that first time. And in a similar way, I think a lot of us, when we first meet Jesus and receive his free gift of salvation, our eyes are opened and we're filled with the Spirit of God and everything is, is beautiful and, and great and you see life dis- differently, as dramatically as when you go to Disney World for the first time. And everything in your life changes. You understand life's not just about you and from getting something from people. It's, it's about serving and, and loving others and extending grace because God has given you grace. And life now is defined as, as loving people because of the great love that God has for us. But then life goes on. And as we get further away from that conversion experience with Jesus, we start to drift. We start to drift. And on Sunday mornings, maybe when the band's up here and, and the lights and you're with God's people, you're feeling great. And then... It's like on Monday morning, it's like, ah, I just got to get four kids to their different activities. You know, it's Wednesday, and it's like, I'm just trying to figure out what to feed my family one more time for dinner. I'm just trying to get to Tuesday night so I can binge watch Ted Lasso or the Squid Game or The Office, whatever your show of choice is. But it's we drift. And that's the first thing. We got note sheets back, so you can write those down. The first thing we see is that we drift. In life, we, we just drift. It's so easy to forget what, what this all is about, of Jesus, the God of Israel, clothed in flesh, come to rescue and redeem us. And now we are his body here on earth, but we drift. Have you ever had a really great Sunday? Maybe a worship song really touched you or something I said really impacted you, but by Wednesday, you don't look anything like Sunday where maybe you had tears streaming down your face. And, you know, on Sunday, you felt like you could, you know, go make a difference and raise a bunch of world changers. But by Wednesday afternoon, you know, you're just changing another diaper. You're just you're packing another lunch. You're just feeling like you've been kicked in the teeth. And, and, and why? Because we drift. The disciples, how many days do they need to drift? About three days. You know, Thursday night, they're sharing a meal with Jesus himself in the flesh. He's telling them, I'm going to defeat sin and death. And then on Friday, Jesus is hanging on the cross for six hours and he dies. And on Sunday morning, just three days later, all the disciples have forgotten that Jesus told them that the Messiah must suffer. He must die. And, and they're so confused because they're, they're, they're terrified. They're hiding behind a locked door. They're thinking, Jesus is gone. The Romans are coming for us next. We're going to end up on a cross. This is all falling apart. Now we can sit here and feel like, we feel bad because we're like the disciples and we're all prone to, to wander and drift, but condemnation isn't going to serve anyone. We're all in this together. We all have a tendency to drift. And if those first 12 disciples are 
really 11, because one really, really, really drifted, right? If those 11 disciples drifted in just three days, we should give ourselves a little bit of a break here. You know, if the physical Jesus can tell the disciples he's going to suffer and die, and then just three days later they forget, that just shows our human propensity to drift. On that Easter morning, though, what does Dr. Luke tell us? Leave it to the faithful women. They're the ones that showed up. But did they show up because they're expecting an empty tomb? No. They showed up with a bunch of burial spices. Because in that day, what you would do is you would put a freshly, uh, a fresh corpse in a tomb where they would sit on a shelf until all the flesh fell off the bones, and then they would collect the bones and put them into a, a family box and and that's what they did. And so these women came to anoint the body of Jesus, and they got some fragrances to kind of deal with the smell. But they show up in the stones and rolled away, and they don't know what's going on. And that's a miracle, because it would have taken a bunch of men to, to roll this stone. And then Luke tells us that the women, they encounter two angels in dazzling apparel. And the angels ask the women, why do you seek the living among the dead? But how often do we do that in our own lives? I look for what I think is going to bring me true life in things that are inherently dead. If I could just make this much money, if I could just get that job, if I could just have this relationship, if people would just respect me for what I've done, if I could just get back to that weight that I weighed in college and get that beach potty back, then life would be great. If I could just be this, if I could just do this, but none of that is going to bring true or lasting life because we drift. And so the angels ask these women, what are you doing here? As if to say, there's another place to look. You don't need to be roaming around in a graveyard. You're looking in the wrong place. You need to look somewhere else. And we too should ask ourselves, when we crave things that are dead, when we're looking for life in places that don't give us real, lasting life, ask ourselves, why do I keep going back to this relationship that I know is not healthy for me? Why am I looking for something that I think is going to bring me life, but all it has so far has brought me death. Why am I looking in this food or this substance or this prescription drug or whatever it is that I know I'm abusing, I'm looking for life, but really it's just bringing me death. Why do we look for the living among the dead? You know why these women were there on that Easter morning? Because they forgot. Because nobody was expecting nobody on that Easter morning. Nobody was waiting for a countdown on Easter morning. You know, three, two, one, the sun rises. Yeah, Jesus is gone. Nobody was expecting nobody on Easter morning. And so the angels had to remind them, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember, Remember what he told you back in Galilee, the Son of Man, Jesus' favorite phrase for himself, must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. And in that moment, those ladies are like, that's right. Jesus told this, and it clicks, and their whole demeanor changes, and they run to tell the disciples who are hiding behind locked doors because they're worried that the Romans are going to drag them out as well and crucify them, and they're like, you won't believe this. Jesus is alive, and those disciples, Peter, James, John, Andrew, are like, nah, we don't believe you, ladies. Because <laughs> in that day, the witness of women didn't really count or matter, which is one reason I believe these accounts because if Dr. Luke was making up the story, he would never 
have said that two women are the ones to discover the empty tomb. Because that wouldn't hold up in a court of law. You'd send Peter and John first. Just the fact that Luke writes this leads me to know this is not a made-up story. But if nothing else this morning, be encouraged. If the disciples in three days could drift, if they could hear from some of their lady friends that, no, he's alive, and they're like, nah, I don't believe you. We should give ourselves a little grace because we all drift. But Jesus, Jesus disrupts our drifting. Jesus disrupts our drifting. In every good story, there has to be some kind of conflict. There has to be some kind of disruption. You know, life's going along normal. Will Smith is having breakfast with his family, and then, bam, aliens invade. You know, Tom Hanks is going through life normal, and then he bumps into a woman, literally, and they have the meat cute you know. An orphan boy finds out he, either he's a Jedi or he's going to Hogwarts, depending on which story you're reading, you know. Uh, does he get a lightsaber or does he get a letter? But every good story has a disruption. Life is going along normal, and then there's a disruption. That's what Jesus does. Jesus disrupts things. The disciples drifted, but Jesus disrupts. And Jesus is going to disrupt their doubting. And this morning, if you have some doubts, that is normal. Frederick Buechner, a Christian author, writes that doubts are the ants in the pants of faith. They keep us alive and moving. It's normal to have some doubts, but Jesus comes along and he disrupts those doubts. Jesus disrupts the doubts. Jesus himself, Luke 24, himself was suddenly standing there among them, behind these locked doors. The disciples are they're doubting and they're, they're hiding. And he says, peace be with you. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. He says, why are you frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands, look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I am not a ghost. Because ghosts don't have bodies, as you can see, that I do. See, one thing I think is that Thomas gets a bad rap. What do we know Thomas has? Doubting Thomas, right? But here we see that everyone was doubting. So it's like, man, they were all hiding, they're all doubting, not just Thomas. See, none of the other disciples are like, see, Thomas, I told you, he rose from the dead. Because if, if I believed it, that's how I would have been. I'd be like, see, Ethan, he's alive, I told you, Right? But none of the disciples, because nobody was expecting no body. And so why did Jesus show them his hands and his feet? Jesus passed from death into life. In the gospel accounts, we see that crucifixion was a horrible, ugly way to die. It says that you couldn't even tell that someone was even a man. See, what Jesus endured, it was a horrible beating. Whips in his back that ripped out chunks of flesh and a crown of thorns pressed into his, his brow and his head and, and holes and, and, and he's beaten and his face is swollen and, and then hand, holes in his hands and feet and he's horribly disfigured as he endures this terrible death. But you and I, but then when he rises, he is restored and has this brand new body. And all, all those marks from the beatings and the whips, they're gone. Except for the hand, the holes in his hands and feet. If Jesus could heal 
the scars on his forehead and where the chunks of flesh are ripped out of his back and perhaps the broken cheekbone and missing teeth. Why didn't he heal the holes in his hands and feet? I think he knew the disciples are going to drift, that they're going to doubt. And so he left those holes to say, hey, it's really me. I really died. I really rose again. So we drift, we doubt. Jesus comes in and he disrupts that. And then we're going to see that Jesus directs. See, sometimes I think we do a disservice when, when we share the message of Jesus. That sometimes I think we say it's a free gift of grace. Just bow the knee. Boom, that's it. But see, Jesus actually didn't invite us to believe in him. He didn't invite us actually to say a prayer. Over and over again, Jesus says, come follow me. And so now he's going to give some direction. He's going to say, now that you believe that I died for you, that I love you, come follow me. But now I got some instructions for you. So sometimes I think when we talk about following Jesus, we leave out that second part. That it's, we now have something to do with Jesus, for Jesus, for the good of the world. And so Jesus is going to direct. Let's hop over to John's account of that night. That Sunday evening, Easter evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and in his side. And they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. I've got to be honest, first time I read that, I was like, why did Jesus breathe on them? That's kind of weird, right? Why did Jesus breathe on them? Well, you got to kind of do a little bit of a word study here. And uh, there's a Hebrew word, sometimes we talk about Hebrew a little bit, called, it's ruach. Can you say ruach with me? You got to clear your throat. Ruach. You, yeah, yeah, you got some good guttural there. And it's the word in Hebrew for the breath of God. It means wind, spirit, life. It's not so much a physical force, but an essence. God's essence that sustains life. It's also translated sometimes as the spirit of God in Genesis 1. God's ruach was hovering over the waters, and, and that was the spirit of creation. Ruach is God in action. Now pull out your palm if you're not wearing a mask, and you can kind of breathe on your hand, right? Maybe you're at home, you're doing this. You can't see your breath, but it touches your skin. You can feel it, but you can't see it. Breath is a strange thing. It's both tangible and intangible. You can sense it and feel it. It touches you, but you can't grab it. You can't completely control it. It completely controls you. Without breath in your lungs, your life is snuffed out. There's a power connected to, to wind and breath. A strong wind can tear down a city, and breath taken away ends a human life. And to help with this concept of activating the, the ruach within you, Jesus presented this word picture in John 3, 3 of being born again. 
Jesus is saying, if your spirit is dead inside of you, you're walking around as a body, but your spirit is dead, what you need is to take a deep breath of God's ruach and to reactivate your spirit. It's the breath of a, of a renewed spirit. That's the idea of being born again. You once were dead, but now you breathe in God's spirit, his breath, his life, his activating force, and now you are born again. And so as Jesus breathes on them, he's saying, you're going to receive my spirit. And we talked about this last week, how, is how do we become the kind of church, how do we become the kind of followers that we see in Acts chapter 4, that they fill with great power as well as great grace, generosity, preaching the word of God with boldness, unity. They only do that by partnering with each other and with the Holy Spirit. How do we partner with the Holy Spirit? As we receive him into us, God's ruach. And so now Jesus is giving them their marching orders to be this kind of community, which extends to all of us, but he's saying, hey, you need to wait for the Holy Spirit. And that's what we see in the book of Acts. Now, let's finally, let's going to hop over to Matthew and his account of these. Same night, different perspective. This is kind of like we're flipping between NBC, CBS, and the BBC kind of news, all, all in one news story. Matthew 28, 17 through 18. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. I love that, that even still, they've seen the risen Jesus, they've touched him, but still they're doubting. So that's where you are, that's okay. This is a safe place where you can bring your doubts. I've had, I've had so many coffees over the last 20 years of being a pastor where people say, hey, Eric, I just... I can't wrap my mind around Genesis 1 and 2 and, and the creation story or, or Jonah and a big fish or Jericho and the walls came tumbling down or, or, or this or that. The book of Revelation is so weird. And why is there fire-breathing monsters and things? And I'll just say, hey, you know what? Put all that in it. Put a pin in it. Just, just put it over here. We'll get to it. What's important? Let's talk about Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus. The idea that the God of the Old Testament, the God of Israel, he came in the flesh. And who is this man, Jesus? Oh, he's so loving. He's so courageous. He speaks up to injustice. He welcomes the little kids to him. He welcomes the blind and the lame and the hurting, and he heals them. He challenges the religious people. He stretches his disciples. He announces the kingdom of God has come near and now we can participate in this new kingdom not a kingdom of strength and power like the roman empire but an upside down kingdom a kingdom where we serve each other and we love each other and then he goes to the cross to pay the price that we could not pay and then he dies for us but then he rises again and 500 people see him in the flesh and 30 years after this, these disciples wrote down these accounts, interviewing many of those people who saw him, including his mom and his brothers, who said, yes, our big brother really is God clothed in the flesh, and he really did die, and after we saw him rise again, we put our faith and trust in him. And so if you're one of these who have doubts, put everything aside and just look at Jesus. And I would say, even just start with the idea of Jesus. 
Even if you say, I don't know if I can trust these 2,000-year-old manuscripts because I don't read Greek and I can't look at the original fragments. Is Jesus beautiful? Is he desirable? When you look at who Jesus was, is that the kind of person you want to be? You want to follow? Start there. Then go on to the rest of things. But some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. We've talked about this, that word disciple in the Hebrew, it's the Talmudim. That Hebrew rabbis like Jesus, there were these teachers that have their Talmudim who would follow them closely. They wanted to be just like their rabbis. And now Jesus invites each and every one of us to be his disciples. And it's following in the footsteps of Jesus. It's not just being passive and sitting back and just, okay, well, whatever. It's saying, okay, that's our true north. It's Jesus. It's saying, I want to be more like him. I want to be filled with more grace and love and compassion. I want the fruit of the Spirit in my life of love and joy. I want peace. I want patience. I want kindness to spill out. I want to be long-suffering. I want the Spirit of God moving in me. That's what it means to be a disciple. And Jesus is saying, go make those. Make disciples. Introduce other people. Hey, Jesus of Nazareth, he really lived. He taught us this way of life. He died and then he rose again of all the nations. There's beauty in our diversity. It's, it's not just a Jewish religion. It's not just a Middle Eastern religion. It has spread now throughout the whole world. And if you're under some illusion that Christianity is a Western or American religion, I've got news for you. There's actually more followers of Jesus in Africa and South America than there is in North America. The center of Christianity has shifted. It's in Africa. It's in Latin America. We follow a God who is for all nations, amen? Not just America baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What a beautiful, beautiful promise. We say here at Mosaic, we're here to help people love God. We want to introduce you to God, that the God of the Old Testament clothed himself in flesh. He he fulfilled the covenant promises. All the promises he made found their fulfillment in Jesus. As he said, his kingdom has come near. And now we get to participate with him. We say we want to serve others. We want to love others. And then we want to make disciples. This is one of our big three. These are our marching orders. Not just for some of us, for all of us. That could be your spouse. That could be your child. That could be your neighbor. It could be your nephew, whoever it might be. It's making disciples, teaching them to obey everything that Jesus taught. How do we do that? We gotta be in God's word. We gotta read the stories of the gospel. We gotta read Paul's letters of how we live this out. Some tangible ways as a church we do this. We have what's called the green book. I'm, I'm, I'm finishing up with Aaron, who's German today, and Ethan back there, and a few others. 
It's just sitting down and it's reading and studying the commands of Jesus and saying, how do we live this out for 15 weeks? That's something you're interested in? Talk to me, talk to Aaron, talk to Ethan. We also have these community groups. Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night. We gather in a home, sing a worship song, invite the Spirit to be with us as we pray and we talk. How, how do we love Jesus? How do we serve Jesus? How do we get into his word and, and, and make it uh, something that w- it's a habit that we want to live with? And so we see that we doubt. Jesus disrupts, but Jesus directs us to make disciples. Jesus directs us to make disciples. He rose from the dead and he said, hey, now I'm going to fill you with my spirit, not just so that you can be spirit-filled and dancing around and prophesying and speaking in tongues. That's all fine and good. But why? To go make disciples. Introduce others to the love of Jesus. Teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And none of us are going to be perfect in this. But saying, hey, together, how are we doing this? I want to encourage you. How are you making disciples? Some of you I know are are meeting with with, with groups uh, at your work, virtually. Bradley Stapleton has has a group at his capella. They meet and they're making disciples that way. Maybe you're going to join a group of other Christian entrepreneurs and CEOs. And you're helping make disciples. You're encouraging each other. You're stretching each other. Maybe you're going to join one of our community groups. Maybe there's one person that even as I'm speaking, God has put it in your mind and you're like, you know what? I'm going to invite this person to take the next step and say, hey, can, together can we learn how to follow Jesus better? Can, can we read and reread the Gospels so that we know all the commands that Jesus gave us and, and to follow him? Today, I want us to embrace the idea that we want to save the lost at any cost. Who are the lost? It's people who are far from Jesus. It's people who feel alone and isolated. It's people who come from broken backgrounds and feel that they are damaged goods. It's people who are lost because there's some besetting sin or addiction in their lives that they cannot change no matter how hard they try. And what they need is the Spirit of God to come heal and break those chains and needs a group of people around them to come and help them. There are so many lost people around us. If God came from heaven down to earth to save us that are lost, that he paid the ultimate cost, wouldn't we, as his followers, do whatever it takes to save the lost at any cost? Here's some ways we're going to do that. Next steps. We're going to start a 30-day prayer challenge starting tomorrow. Tomorrow's November 1st. It's a great day to start this. There's 30 days in the, in the month. Some of you guys, I know, won't shave, and you'll do uh, No Shave November, grow out that mustache. Hey, maybe that's your reminder that then uh, you're going to do 30 days of prayer while you're growing out that mustache. Hey, some I know, it's a great month as well uh, to do Sober November. Um, it, it just Even if alcohol's not a big thing in your life, hey, this month, say, you know what? We're going to do sober November. I'm not going to drink. Instead, I'm going to do focused times of prayer. We're going to pray. We're going to pray that God fills us with the Spirit to make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all that God has commanded. So I want to encourage you, this next month, would you participate with us in just 30 days of focused prayer? 
pick a time and put it in your calendar. Maybe it's every day at 6.30 a.m., or maybe it's every day at noon, or maybe it's every day, you know, at 9.30 p.m. when you're getting ready for bed, whatever that might be. Have that alarm go off. That's right. Okay. Yep. Focus prayer. I'm praying for my church. I'm praying for my city. I'm praying for my family. I'm praying to be filled with the Spirit to, to make disciples. I believe prayer matters. We say nothing of spiritual significance happens without prayer. Prayer connects us to the heart of God. It's God's way of changing our hearts to align more with him. If we want to be the kind of church that is reaching people who are lost and hurting, then we have to partner with God through prayer. We're going to also cultivate an attitude of gratitude. I've talked before, many of us, uh, there's about uh, a dozen of us pastors here in Maple Grove, Covenant, Baptist, Assemblies of God, uh, E-Free, all different denominations. We get together once a month for lunch, and we've been getting together more and more to say, how can we impact our city? And so one of the things all of us churches are doing this month is adopting a school and, and then taking some time to write thank you cards for those teachers as a way to just say, hey, thanks. We see you. We appreciate you. So that's what we're going to do here on the 21st of November. We're going to have a time in our service. We're going to have thank you cards available. And we're just going to write thank you cards to teachers. Just saying, hey, thank you. We're also going to be collecting food for Cross starting on the 14th and the 21st and the 28th. That's something else that all the churches here at Maple Grove are doing. Cross is an amazing food bank uh, in the Rogers area that supplies uh, needed food and supplies for, for lots of people. So I'll be emailing out a list of things that they're asking for. And that's one way we can cultivate an attitude of gratitude as well in this month of, of Thanksgiving and teaching our kids, hey, why are we buying these extra groceries? Well, it's so that we can give to Cross who is impacting those who don't have the ability to do that as well. So this is one way as a community we can cultivate this attitude of gratitude by writing cards, by collecting food. And then next Sunday, Ryan talked about this. We're kicking off our month we're, we're, we're talking about the cross and how the cross changed the universe. And, and we're, we're going we're gonna to celebrate communion and just be his body. As we remember, his body was broken for us. And now, wonder of wonders, amazement of amazements, we are his body. As you look around, look around the room right now, this is the body of Christ. Christ in us. We aren't just men and women, husbands and fathers, workers, drones, entrepreneurs, teachers, healthcare workers. We are the body of Christ. That is amazing. I'm going to invite the band to come up. And now we're going to go into a time of worship to kind of finish up our morning. We had pre-service prayer before service started. And I was just telling them, why do we gather here? To experience the power and the presence of God. There is something unique when Jesus' body, that is us, gathers together to remind each other of his goodness, of his grace, to sing together, to celebrate together. There's something different when we are the body of Christ alone and when we come together as his body. 
And so now as we sing these last two worship songs in our service, I just want to invite you to stand as the body of Christ, to ask for God's ruach, his spirit to come in. And if there's something dead in you, hope, if there's something dead that you need brought to life, invite his spirit to come in and to change you. I believe that chains can be broken. If there's something in your life that you're just struggling with and you can't break on your own, bring that to Jesus. Maybe there's someone in this room you develop friendship with and you just want to take that step of faith to be like, hey, this is a little embarrassing, but can you pray for me right now? We are the body of Christ. So now let's stand and let's sing to Jesus. Jesus, we thank you that you are here in us and among us and surrounding us, that you go before us and behind us. We thank you for your spirit, that we don't have to do life and all of this on our own strength, but your spirit animates us and brings us alive and gives us strength. And so God, we pray right now that we would have a passion to save the lost at any cost, that we would make disciples, that we would bring the truth of the gospel with us, that we were dead in our sins, but you bring us alive, that you break chains, that you break addictions, that you bring grace and peace, and when we feel like damaged goods or no one will ever love us, that you say that you love us so much to have your body broken on the cross for us but it didn't stop there you rose again showing that you have power over the devil and over sin and over death and so God as we drift and as we forget remind us disrupt us this morning break in pierce through our world right now we pray spirit come and fill us and restore us and renew us Jesus, I pray that we just give to you the things we're carrying that you don't want us to carry anymore. And we'd seek your direction as our rabbi, as our teacher, as our savior, as our God. In your name we pray, amen. We introduced this new song last week. Let's sing this song together. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Maple Grove podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thank you to everyone who gives to Mosaic Maple Grove. Your generosity allows this message to go out into the world. You can be a part of the Mosaic tribe by going to mymosaicchurch.com. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thanks again for listening. Grace and peace, my friends.